This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. My name is John Dunn. Today is March the 3rd of 2022. There's a lot happening right now, isn't there, in animal welfare and of course the world at large. We hope you're staying safe and finding ways to stay healthy. But let's be honest, it is very easy right now to feel, I mean, gosh, I don't want to say hopeless, but it can be difficult to feel hopeful. The daily grind is harder than normal for many of us, and if you're not doom-scrolling through social media, congratulations, let me know your secret, but even if you're not, you're still very likely feeling the weight of everything that is happening. A little production secret of the podcast is that what you hear is edited for brevity, because I talk a lot. So a 30-minute episode can often have come from an interview that was two or three, even four times longer than that, and occasionally we'll turn them into more than one episode, and this week is one of those times. We're sharing more from my interview with one of the most inspiring people I know, the CEO of Best Friends, Julie Castle. She was the guest for episode 100, where we focused on the pay inequality issue. But with everything that's going on right now, we felt like this part of the conversation should not be left on the cutting room floor. Uh, Julie, let's set the pay stuff aside for a sec, because, you know, I think we could give everyone a $100,000 salary right now, and that would be great. Not being able to pay bills is very stressful. I can attest to that. Um, But, you know, that kind of money, I mean, it wouldn't alleviate any of the things necessarily that are happening right now that we're all struggling with. So as we move closer to spring in 2022, we are still dealing with COVID. The staffing crisis not uh, improving as quickly as I think we need it to. Veterinary shortages, positive outcomes for for shelter pets are down. Uh, I'll have to take a look at the latest numbers, but things there have not been going in the right direction. So things overall are rough. And I think a lot of us are really feeling like we're getting our butts kicked. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that you step outside of animal welfare for a minute and just look at any any aspect of our society. And you hear that across the board. I I think everyone feels like they're getting their ass kicked right now. And I think it's the, you know, we talk about the toll that COVID's taken, um, sadly, on the number of deaths and the people who have had COVID and have long haulers or the people that have suffered, suffered economically from it or but I think there's this sort of mental long haul, long haul COVID scenario that's taking place too, where, and, and I'm seeing this show up a lot and e- either internally at best friends or with peers across the movement or, or people that work in animal welfare, people that I know outside of animal welfare are tired. There's, there's a lot of, I hear a lot of that, that people are just really tired and this is where I say, you know, John, all that stuff that you mentioned earlier, the, you know, staff sh- shortages, the veterinarian shortage, there are a lot of systemic issues that we have right now in animal welfare. But I go back to this fundamental thing of if you're not looking at the root thing, the thing that's the clear and present danger to you right now, which for me is this feeling that we have been in the middle of this global pandemic for two years now and people are exhausted 
And this is the time to put the pedal to the metal in making sure that people get through this and, and they are healthy because that right now for me is really top of mind. That's where I see, we're not going to be able to solve any of these other issues if we don't have people who are really excited about what they're doing, who aren't just physically trashed and mentally exhausted and emotionally just drained. And I feel like that is where the, the world is right now. People are really tired. And so that's where I go to, if you're a leader of an organization or you're a manager or even your own self, you are the manager of your own self. You need to be very cognizant of that and understand that that needs to be managed as much as this other stuff. If not made managed more intensely, it needs to be made the priority because that to me is the only way that we get through this thing unscathed. It, it starts with each of us recognizing we are human beings and there's only so much you can take. There's only so many variants we can freaking go through. And, you know, just when you think we're, we're, we've gotten around a corner, there's a, another mask mandate or a this or that, or people are fighting over, people are fighting on airplanes. People are, I mean, well, people are fighting over everything. It feels like, you know, it's like one of those movies you see, it's like Lord of the flies where you're, you're, you're in this pressure cooker and everyone is at everyone's throat for some reason or another, for something or another. And this is where I feel like we all rise above that and take care of ourselves and each other. It will pass. I promise. The question is, will it pass? And will you be like one of the casualties of hopefully not COVID itself, but just the casualty of dealing with this just total freaking burnout, which is which is what I'm hearing from a lot of people right now. Maybe now more than ever, we need heroes. We need inspiration. We need hope. Uh, I was thinking about this ahead of our chat, and it made me think of Jane Goodall. Of course, the legendary primatologist, activist. She's done more for animals, the environment, and people than uh, possibly anyone alive. Uh, and you actually interviewed her at the Best Friends Conference last year, 2021. Let's just take a quick listen to a bit of that. Well, the thing is, it all began when I was 10 years old. And I read Tarzan of the Apes. We had very little money. That's when my dream began, going to Africa. And everybody laughed at me. Um, as you say, I was just a girl. Girls didn't do that sort of thing. We didn't have any money. And uh, Africa was far away. But I had an amazing mother. She didn't laugh at me. She just said, you really want to do this, then you're going to have to work extremely hard, take advantage of every opportunity. And if you don't give up, maybe you find a way. So that's that's how it began. I We, we didn't have money for university. So I got this boring old secretarial job, but as I've said, saved up money and got to Africa. And I wasn't really bucking any convention because nobody at that time was going out in the field to work. George Shaller had done one year with the gorillas, and there were two Americans studying chakma baboons in South Africa. And that was it. There was nobody else out in the field. There was no protocol to follow. So I just worked the way that I had as a child. 
outside in, in the garden here. I'm in the house I grew up. And I watched the birds and the squirrels and the insects. And I knew that to find out about them, I had to get their trust. So I did the same with the chimps. It took a long time. They're very mistrustful. They ran away. And I was getting really worried. There was only money for six months. It's pretty amazing to get any money for this young, untrained girl. And so, you know, it was a whole series of amazing things that set me on this path. And when I began, no, indeed, I hadn't any thought except I will find out as much as I can about the chimps. They don't want to let Lewis Leakey down. And once I got to know them, then how incredibly fascinating to have this opportunity of, of learning about these different individuals and their complex social lives. And as I've said, how like us they are. So one thing led to another. It just was the, the path was laid out for me. And all I had to do was make the right choice at the right time. And I think I did. I think most people in animal welfare, whether they recognize it or not, have been influenced by Jane and her incredible work over the last, I guess, like 60 years since she first went to Africa. You know, you could really tell when you interviewed her that the reverence you have for Jane, you know, I know, Julie, she's one of your personal heroes. Can you talk about what that experience was like? I guess I, guess I just want to talk about hope because hope matters, you know? Yeah, I, it was such a, it was a highlight of my life. I mean, she's a legend. I think she's, when you think about figures in history, she is somebody that the world will be talking about a thousand years from now. And to be able to be in her presence and sort of experience her from that dimension, like from her heart. What really struck me with her was just the pure humanity that she has. And the fact that she does it with such humbleness. And, you know, to think about how I, she is one of those people who I think she has so much hope, meaning what I mean by that is that barriers don't exist to her, that she believes there is a power of belief in her that she can make a difference and she can change. And so therefore, all of her barriers sort of melt away from every aspect of the work that she's done when she started and she was bucking convention from the start to you know, creating collaborations with oil companies to, you know, things that just really buck convention because I think she has this just innate hope that she can make the world a better place. And therefore there aren't these boundaries of you should or shouldn't do this, or you should or shouldn't relate to that person, or you should or shouldn't try this out. And I feel like the power of that has just given her, she's on a whole different plane. And that belief and hope and that each one of us has that in us. And if each one of us grabs onto that and does what we can do with the skills and the gifts that we have, the world would totally freaking change. And it doesn't mean this like, you run out and do a hundred different things. Even if you do one thing every day that makes a difference to somebody or something, that is powerful. 
And I feel like she is an example of somebody who's been doing that her whole life. And she, that one person has changed the entire planet. And so imagine just following in her footsteps, what you can do. What are you going to do to be more like Jane? And if you're sitting there thinking, oh, I could never do that, or I could never be her, or I could, why not? What is stopping you from holding on to that hope and going out into the world and challenging convention and bringing your best self every day and doing it with love and kindness and fortitude and believing that you can make a difference? That is powerful. So if you want to see the full interview Julie did with Jane Goodall, uh, check out the show notes area of your podcast player. There'll be a link there. Also, we'll make sure it's on the website, bestfriends.org slash podcast. Click the link for episode number 102. What I find to be so remarkable about Jane Goodall is how matter of fact she is about it. You know, Jane, how did you do it? Well, I just did it. And while I think there's something uh, slightly almost uniquely British about that, uh, stiff upper lip, no nonsense kind of stuff, you know, it's really about reducing those barriers, as you said. You know, us mere mortals put those up all the time. I do it. I start to think about one problem in my life and animal welfare, whatever it is, you know, say climate change. And then you start to think about this and that and this other factor and this other. And before you know it, it's like, I'm thinking, what's the point? We're, we're never, we're not going to change anything. So, you know, finding something in yourself that helps you to not get demoralized, you know, it's easy to say, I think another thing to wake up tomorrow and live your life like Jane, but I do think it can be done, right? Can it be done? Hopefully. Yeah, it is difficult. I think if it was easy, we wouldn't be in this position, right? And so you think about how does real change happen and how does real change happen within oneself. Again, I go back to data and science and you look at the science behind this and it is small incremental changes that you make every day to your daily routine. That is so powerful. And they're not big sweeping changes. Like I'm going to lose a hundred pounds and you implement 20 things all at the same time. No, it doesn't start that way. It starts with one small incremental change every day until you have a lifestyle, whether it be, you know, you're in animal welfare or you're in the environmental space where you actually are making an impact on others and the world and the earth and the animals or whatever field you're in. That incremental change is, is the only way, you know, she's so powerful yet so unassuming. She's so humble, yet so incredibly bigger than life. <laughs> and, um, you know, we have the good fortune of Silva Batista, one of our founders. Her sister-in-law is Jane's basically right hand. She's the one that manages her, all, her schedule and everything. And to understand how she lives she lives in total humility. Like she is very just a, when you talk about somebody being a good person, like she exemplifies that in every aspect of her life. So I, I just feel really fortunate that as a, another human, I was able to have that kind of contact with her. It was definitely life-changing for sure. I've got four basic reasons to hope and traveling around the world as I used to, 
uh, I was meeting incredible people. So the first reason for hope is the Roots and Shoots program because young people, it's not that they can change the world, they are changing the world. The projects they choose, the energy and effort and commitment, and in some countries, courage that they put into doing what they do, it's amazing. They're making a difference. And, you know, as the example that you gave, if every one of them, for example, picks up one piece of litter in a day and multiply that by however many millions and millions of groups and groups members we have, plus other people doing the same, you know, and this, this follows through in the great planting trees or cleaning rivers or working to save an endangered species, guarding turtle nests on the sand, all those things. So roots and shoots, young people, hope. And secondly, this amazing intellect, which makes us more different from chimpanzees and other animals than anything else, and we've used it badly. But we're coming up with innovative technological solutions, wind, solar, tide, to help us live in greater harmony with nature, to get off the grid, have sustainable energy. And also we're thinking about our own environmental footprint every day. And then, or at least more and more people are. And then there's the resilience of nature. So places that we utterly destroy, give them time and maybe some help. And nature will return. I've seen it again and again and again. And the incredible people who decide that this cannot stay the way it is. And they're going to fight. And that's the final reason, the indomitable human spirit. The people who tackle these projects that seem impossible. I mean, think of the people tackling human rights. Think of the, the indigenous people in the Amazon fighting to save their home territories. Think of the people who decide that they're just going to do something to, to, ch to make change in a place where other people say it's hopeless. And the point is that once you take action, this is what I tell depressed people, choose something to do that you do care about and that's doable locally. Get a group together if you can. Once you take an action and see that you're making a difference, then that gives you hope. And the more hope you get, the more you want to tackle. And the more you tackle, the more you inspire others. But if you lose hope, then what's the point? I mean, if you don't think that what you do is going to make a difference, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And so giving people hope to me is absolutely key to our survival on this planet. Are you a hopeful person? I think that I am more hopeful today than I ever have been. I, I think it's because I've, I've lived a tough life, I think. And for people who don't know me well, w probably wouldn't see that or know that. But I think it's through the, the tragedy and the tough times that hope grows and develops. And so in a weird way, I feel like the, the adversity I've had in my life has brought me closer to the passion that I have around what I do, closer to believing that there is strength and hope, closer to the fact that this world is capable of changing, that people are capable of change. 
that yes, there is a lot of evil and bad out there, but there is far more good. And it's about mobilizing that good to create change and mobilizing people around you and people that are in your sphere to believe in that hope and believe that they, as a person, can contribute to this in a very meaningful way. Because at the end of the day, you only grace this planet once, or maybe I should say this planet graces you. And to think about what do you want to do when your time comes and you go to the great beyond and you're leaving this place, what do you want to think about as what your contribution is or was? It's kind of a lofty, grand statement to think about, but that is, I think, what we should all do to determine what is your calling. Is your calling to educate others and help build the army of change that we're going to create? Is your calling to, you know, help get to 2025? And really figuring out that grand passion and then going for it, I think is such a, if you don't do anything else in 2022, do that for me. Figure it out. What, it, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And if you don't know what that is yet, that's okay. Start trying different things that make you happy because your happiness is infectious and your happiness will bring happiness to others and therefore will create that hope. So that was a really long answer to whether or not I'm hopeful, but I feel like I have this endurance of hope, I should say. Well, we're chatting now, beginning of February 2022. Uh, I think this is going to air in the next month or so. So it's not really the start of the year right now, but I'm interested to know, you know, the, the rest of the year, what's happening in 2022? What are you excited for? When I think about what's coming this year, there's so many things that I'm excited about because even though I think a lot of people are, are tired from COVID, they're tired from a lot of stuff that's happening. There are a lot of really cool things happening in animal welfare. I feel like we have gotten way more sophisticated. We are way more able to deal with adversity that comes our way. I think that we are much more elevated when it comes to inclusion, when it comes to all aspects of DE&I. I think the work that Best Friends has been doing internally on that front and the work that Jose Ocaño has been leading. It, it, he's just such a, a fabulous leader and a breath of fresh air, especially when it comes to this dimension. And there are a lot of things happening across the movement related to this that make me very happy because it tells me this is not just I was worried this would happen and, you know, Americans have such a short attention span that this would be, you know, a forgot about story within a matter of months. And that's something that I was saying early on. And I'm really pleased to see that that hasn't happened and I don't think it won't, it will happen. And so I'm excited about some of the initiatives that Best Friends is doing internally with our recruitment, with our board around that issue. The thing that is going to launch this year that's really super cool is our brand new pet resource center in Bentonville, Arkansas. 
and it is a vision of what the future is going to be for animal shelters and thinking about how those serve our community differently and that those are just as much about people as it is as it should be about pets and so thinking about that as a center a resource um, a health and wellness area a place where we come together and we really share in that love of animals i believe that this is what shelters of today are going to look like in 20 years and I think it's going to be really cool. I think that we had a real opportunity to work with some funders who were very visionary around this and basically just let us sort of dream about where we could take animal welfare um, into the future and to look at a system that we'd been working with then since the late 1800s that essentially the physical plant around what we call today as shelters really hasn't changed all that much. You know, you walk in the front door, there are cages, kennels. What I mean, there have been a few changes here and there, but it's essentially the same footprint. And so to think about it in an entirely different way is just, oh, I'm so excited about it. It's just going to be so cool and really innovative. And I think we have a really incredible team that's been working on that. And so I hope that that is a beacon fire to our movement, not just our movement, but other movements that really you should always be thinking about how do we disrupt our space? How do we continue to evolve? How do we launch something and try it and try different programming in it and fall flat on our face and fail and that's okay? And we keep trying a different way. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that gets me up out of bed. And I just saw a golden eagle out my window. I am not kidding you. That is, there you go. That, if that isn't a sign, I don't know what is. Right over the canyon. Holy crap. That's awesome. <laughs> As always, thank you for subscribing to the podcast and for sharing it with every single person you know. You can always email us here, podcast at bestfriends.org podcast at bestfriends.org. There's a team of people who help bring this podcast together each week. They are Tawny Hammond, Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Mark Peralta. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.